Hey everyone, welcome to Orange Crushing It, a weekly series dedicated to high drive, passionate and motivated individuals. I'm your host, Frank Clark, President and CEO of The Mr. Orange. This shows a weekly dose of business, life and personal development principles geared toward bringing out the adrenaline junkie and overachiever in each and every one of you. As a seasoned entrepreneur of over five companies producing hundreds of millions in revenue, I'm going to personally be sharing my stories of success and, of course, my life-defining massive screw-ups, <laughs> as well as featuring inspiring guests, business leaders, athletes, thrill-seekers who just truly want to walk their talk and make life happen. Stick around, and let's get crushing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Orange Crushing It. Just off of a great weekend, my name is Frank Clark, and I am the CEO of The Mr. Orange. And today, yes, today I have... I know you guessed it, right? Another exciting guest. <laughs> Yet another exciting guest. But yes, I really do love and appreciate this woman coming on. She's a good friend of mine. Siobhan Olivero is a trial lawyer, and she practices high-level criminal defense and family law, as well as divorce in the state of Florida, which she is a native of, which is, you know, you don't find too many people that are native Floridians at all anymore. She's also a certified coach. And that piece of it helps her actually kind of set herself apart from other lawyers because she brings a little, you know, not little, but quite a bit of emotional aspects, being able to handle people from an emotional standpoint, not just, you know, serve them as a, as a divorce lawyer or a criminal lawyer, but actually can get in and help people adjust, understand what's going on, brings a lot of passion and compassion to that. And that's really what sets her apart. She juggles many things. She's an experienced trial lawyer, a business owner, an adjunct professor, mentor, coach, speaker, and the mother. She really is a powerhouse in her industry. She does presentations at business conferences, leadership conferences. She's kick-ass in the courtroom, delivering incredible persuasive arguments. She also presents at schools. I want to get into that a little bit. I do like using like the Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> These kids. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, she is has been featured on national television, local television. She, in her spare time, enjoys scuba diving, music, singing, playing the keyboard, and fishing. Siobhan, welcome to Orange Crushing It. Well, thanks, Frank. Thanks for that amazing introduction. I, I I'm, I'm humbled by that. So. <laughs> you wrote it. Come on. This is <laughs> well, you, you put a spin on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. The way I know you, Siobhan, is through an organization called Unblinded. I've had a lot of members of the Unblinded team and people that I've met. They're just a phenomenal group. That goes back, I don't know, a couple of months ago or so. Uh, we were all at a big-ass party in New Jersey and Long Beach Island a weekend or two ago. And great time. Got to know everybody really, really well face a little bit of our fears and do a little surfing in the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> a little craziness. Yep. <laughs> <in> our... <laughs> so, so tell me, why, why the law? And specifically, why criminal law? How did you get into that? What did you decide? Like, was this like a five-year-old, you know, kind of, hey, man, I just can't wait to get up, grow up, and be the Johnny Cochran, right? Because if... <laughs> Well, you're you're half right on that one. It was okay. since I was like five years old. So there's there's no big story to that. Just yeah, when I was in like kindergarten, they asked me what you want to be when you grow up, and I said a lawyer. But when when I was younger, I was said I was going to be a corporate lawyer because you know that's where all the money was. But as I as I grew up, 
I actually was a paralegal before I went to law school. So I was a paralegal for about 10 years. And in that 10 years, I was in the criminal defense field, working for criminal defense attorneys and just absolutely loved the criminal world and criminal defense. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do when I got out of law school and I went into criminal defense and then opened my firm and added family law in after that. Did you add the, what, what, like, why add family law? Why not add like patent attorney or what, you know, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> family law fit because I am divorced. So I've been through it and it was an area that I knew I could help people in. And, you know, generally when you, when you go out on your own as a, as a solo law firm owner, you, you don't just do one area of law, you bring in, you know, a, a combination of areas and, so for me, it was family law just because I knew that was an area that I would, could be good at, that I could help people in and that there was a need for. And having already gone through it, I divorced my ex-husband when my son was four and then actually went to law school as a single mom when my son was six years old. So having gone through it and then gone through law school and started started a practice, I felt that I could help other people see that divorce doesn't have to be an end, but it can be a beginning and you can go out there and do amazing things after a divorce. That's incredible that you say that because I got divorced just two and a half years ago and had the mediator and the, the lawyers been sensitive, you know, I always sit there and sit down and just, okay, you get the blue plate and you get the red napkin holder and no, 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 I want the red napkin. Fight over shit. Like you don't even, mm -hmm. it doesn't really seem to matter. And Mine didn't take a long time, but nonetheless, they're brutal. I mean, divorce, when you represent a client, which one seems easier? Divorce attorneys, divorce work, or like dealing with a criminal? The easier one is criminal. Criminal. And why is that? As far as just dealing with the clients themselves, the, the criminal work is the easier side. I, I don't, not that criminal's not emotional, but in family law, you are, you are just dealing with such high emotion areas. You know, you're dealing with people's kids and you're dealing with things that they have these emotional attachments to. And that tends to make people sometimes difficult to, to deal with and to work through and to get along with, which is why now being a certified divorce coach came into play and to help people through those emotional side of things with that. But in criminal law, it's, it's a lot of it is, you know, it just is what it is. It's, you're taking a plea deal, you're going to trial, and the outcome's going to be the outcome. So True. It's pretty much just fact-based. You did this, yeah. you didn't do this, right? And, right. And the, and the divorce side of things, especially when you're getting kids involved, it's very emotional. It, yeah. It's very emotional because even the things that have no value, they have emotional value, right? Mm -hmm. Especially for a long time. So I, I hand it to you, though. You know, you, you divorce, like you said, when your, your child was just four years old. So you're raising a child. You go into school to become an attorney. I mean, that's a lot of work. Kudos to you for doing that. That's, you know, single mom to me is the hardest job on the planet. Yeah. It, you know, most underrated, hardest job on the planet. So give you a lot of props for that, you know, to yeah. doing that. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, seriously. It's certainly interesting having a six-year-old in tow, you know, in law school classes. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, you make it happen, right? You do what yeah. you got to do. You dig in. I mean, that's part of the orange energy, right? We're driven. Oh, yeah. we, just get, we just get it done. Do what yep. you got to do. Yeah. You do what you got to do. I think I even asked you this when we first met, but I'm, I'm curious, and, I, and I've always thought this, and I've asked people you know, that working with high-profile criminal people, or even if they're not high-profile, you know, criminal's a criminal, right? You get a situation that you go, I, I don't know if I can represent this person. You look at them and you go, and you just have guilty. They, they come to the courtroom with a T-shirt that says, I did it. 
Like, remember when OJ had, like, he was going to write a book and said, if I had done it, like, <laughs> you got guys or gals that come in the courtroom there, and the T-shirt just screams, I am guilty. But yet, you know, you have to defend these people. You ever kind of get a moment of, like, I just, I don't know if I can do it. I, I don't know if I can do it. Nope, never. N- never. Mm-mm. Really? Really. How does the mind work? Like, how, walk me through a process of... Well, the way I'm going to initially say it is probably going to come across not the way that it's meant, but what I'm going to initially say is I don't care if they did it or they didn't do it. So okay. not to say that, obviously, that I don't care about my client. I do care about my client, but my, my job isn't to care whether they're guilty or not guilty. My job is to make sure they're protected, right? I am your constitutional right to have a lawyer represent you in the criminal justice system. So to make sure your rights are protected, to hold the state to their burden, to make sure that, you know, if the state's accusing you of a crime, that they can prove it and that they've done everything right and that they haven't violated any of your rights to get there. If they do their job right, then the outcome that, you know, if, if someone's guilty and they've done their job right, then that person is going to get a sentence that's appropriate. But if they haven't done their job right, then that person shouldn't be punished because, you know, so I tell everybody without these protections in place, criminal allegations come up all the time on just that word, just an allegation. I mean, somebody could say, Frank Clark did this to me. And that's it. Now you're facing a significant number of years in prison based on one person's allegation. Yeah. So you have to have somebody on your side and protections in place to make sure that you're protected, that if that happened, and if they're not lying or making it up or some other thing, or they did an invalid search warrant or any of these other things happened, justice is done, whichever way justice is to be done. Sure. And like you said, you know, okay, somebody says Frank Clark is guilty of something, right? I mean, we live now in a day and age where social media is such a guiding belief system. They see it on TV, they see it on Facebook or Instagram or wherever, and it's the truth. So in the court of public opinion, a lot of people are guilty before they're even before they spend one day in court. And, you know, depending on how things are spun, how do you find that that dynamic affects the legal system right now? Or is, is it really any effect? Sure, it's, it's an effect for cases that are, that are high, high news cases, mm-hmm. obviously. So when you're representing somebody that's going to go to trial, that's a high news case, there's a lot of very detailed jury selection that you do to try to ask the right questions, to try to get to the answers, to see if they've heard the news stories or if they've already formed an opinion or if any of those news stories or opinions are going to affect them in sitting and hearing only what's presented in court because they can only make a decision on guilty or not guilty on what's presented to them in court, not on anything else that they've heard anywhere else. True. True. Again, I just, I see how public opinion can destroy companies. You're an Instagram influencer and now you wake up online and go, Hey, you know what? I don't like, uh, I don't like Procter and Gamble. You got 20 million followers. All of a sudden P and G stock is dropping to the floor. Well, yeah, yeah, it certainly follows you. And just because maybe you do get, the verdict of not guilty in court, but we've certainly seen where public opinion has, you know, not helped somebody who's even been found not guilty. You've mentioned OJ Simpson, right? He found not guilty in court, but still, right. you know, the reputation that follows him now for the amount of people who consider him guilty, despite what the jury verdict was, you know, just, sure. it's there. One of the things that, uh, that I find fascinating that you're involved with though, is you're a certified coach as well. Mm-hmm. So when people go through divorce, I've seen it in all different areas. I can speak for myself. You know, I'm fairly evolved, if you will, or, you know, fairly, fairly self-aware, having done a lot of personal development stuff. 
So I tended to get through it maybe faster than most. But in general, when you're working with somebody, what's the, what are the things that you try to work with them on or bring out with them? Or when you start coaching somebody that just devastated, they lost everything, they lost their spouse, they didn't, maybe they didn't even see it coming. And now they're, you know, they get, they've become weekend dad or weekend mom, or their kids are taken from them, or they have, you know, somebody moves and all, all of that dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's loss. And how do you, how do you coach somebody through that? What's, what are some of your techniques or some of the things that you do to, to get to people and not get to them, but understand and help them understand that there is a next chapter? There's quite a few techniques that we, that I do for that. And of course, my caveat to that is to say that I'm not a therapist, right? So sure. I'm not licensed, not certified as a therapist. So there, there is a difference in, in therapy where you're dealing with those, those trauma type of feelings and issues that are, that are more, should be addressed more in, in therapy than in coaching. But with coaching, you know, what I, what I, I tell people, I, I help them get through their three personal P's. So first is to help find your personal power, you know, your resilience, your strength back to, to your inner self, you know, who you are in overcoming that, um, your personal pride, being proud of who you are, or if there's kids involved, you know, and having your kids be proud of who you are coming out of the other side of a divorce. Um, because many times, as you may have seen, Frank, or may know, people do some things they're not so proud of, you know, enact ways they, that they are not so proud of during that time of divorce, just from the high emotions. And so really helping them when they are in the, in the, in the heat of it, if you will, maybe reacting different and behaving differently and, and things that we can do to, to see that. One technique that I use is called the best self exercise, sitting somebody down and helping them figure out who they are at their best self. If you can't see, if you can't, if you're not there where you can see who you are at your best self yet, then what I tell people is who's somebody that you look up to. You know, they can be in real life or they can be a celebrity or they can be fiction, but somebody that you look up to and what are those characteristics that you see in them mm-hmm. that you think are, are great and, you know, that, that you perceive to be them and their best self. Because if you see it, you have it. See it and you acknowledge it and you have it. And then what you like about them and what you look up to about them. And then when we can start to get you to see you as that in your best self, and then every day, just, all right, were you your best self? If not, where did we fall short? And what can we do to get you there tomorrow? How can we get there? And what can we do? And so that's the personal peace and the personal power and the other side, or sorry, the personal power and the personal pride and then the personal peace that the other side of that, you know, having self-forgiveness and self-love and just finding your inner peace inside of that to be able to know that, it can be a beginning. It doesn't have to be an end. And it's just how we look at it and how we view it. And we're going to come out of this a stronger and better person ultimately all the way around. Some of those techniques that we do that. Also teaching them different communication styles and teaching them where people are on what I call the communication curve, right? Especially when we're going through a very emotional time or, or you know, a, a time like this, there's, a, there's an emotional curve that people are on that, you know, or it's kind of just that, you know, that, that you curve. And maybe you're here, but the other person's here. So how do you communicate when you're at different parts of that curve? And what does that look like? And what are some techniques that you can do to really communicate more effectively to have less friction during this time? If you could define different parts of the curve. I looked at it as when I was going through a divorce, I'm like, all right, here's some phases. It's almost like grieving. I kind of looked at it like that. I compared it to that, where phase one was sad. Phase two was pissed. Phase three was back to sad, back to pissed, apathy. So you finally get to, and I call it resolve, which is, okay, this is the reality here, right? Let's yeah. deal with 
and you pretty much hit it, you know, right, right on, you know, it's, it's very similar to that, you know, grieving the hurt and the sadness and the anger and back to sadness and exactly what you said, back to anger and then back to, okay, we're okay now. And now we're moving on. And both of you are not going to be on the same part of the curve at the same time, because chances are one of you, we're not ready for the divorce when it happens. So one may already be further along on we're resolved while the other one's still dealing with sadness and then anger and then anger and then more anger. And you get to the point, I guess, where hopefully both people are on the same page, right? Yeah. And it's talking about hot buttons. You know, do you know what your hot buttons are? When somebody says something to you, what's the thing that sets you up? What's that hot button? Mm -hmm. And then do you know what that hot button is to the other person? And then how do we reframe our communications and not trigger those hot buttons? Or how do we reframe for you how you react when the other person tries to trigger that hot button? Because if you don't get triggered, communication is going to go a lot more smooth. If you say something to me that triggers my hot button and I just come right back at you, we're not going to have effective communication. Where if I can just take a minute and reset and go, that triggered something in me. It's not what you said, but it's what it triggered in me why it triggered it in me, then I can work my way through it and have communication with you. Well, that's a great distinction that you just said there, right? It's not necessarily about you, right? And I I guess that's one of the things that is, I guess it's easier said than than done or easier said than lift, right? Right. When somebody, especially when it's a trigger, because in life we have these events that happen and then we stack the meanings to these events. And when certain events look like the prior events, the meanings still kind of stay the same. So, Getting past that, okay, this event, divorce, might look like when you were 10 years old and somebody rejected you in the school line. Mm-hmm. It could have almost the exact same meaning and bring the same trigger back to that. But like you said, you know, you're dealing in what's the reality here of what the situation is and trying to bring out somebody's best self is to keep them focused on that so they're not, they're not hitting the trigger. Right. That's, that's, that's challenging. That's a challenging thing. I would have guessed. I would assume so. Right. Yeah, certainly, certainly can be, depending yeah. on, you know, where, where the person is in, in their in their state. Yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned, you know, step one is to try to bring out somebody's best self. And that it usually it reminds them of somebody else that was pivotal. Who brought your best self out? How do you define your best self and who was instrumental mm. in helping create that for you? Mm, that's a great question. So, Someone for me that I always try to, that I look up to and always have for me is my dad. So my dad is one of the most, we talk a lot in in the circles that we're in of unconditional love for people. And my dad is just one of those people that has unconditional love for, for anybody and everybody that he meets and no judgment and just, just a giver. He will give his heart to anybody, you know, and anything that he can give. So so for me, it was, for me, my, my dad is somebody that I like to look up to, to, to mimic for who my best self is of just unconditional love and just in giving, but unconditional love with boundaries, right? Because sometimes boundaries. saying no is acceptable. So right. just being able to give and giving with no expectations in return. So that's amazing. That's giving beautiful. Out of love. Yeah. That's beautiful. Your dad must be an amazing guy. He is. Yeah. <laughs> Bring out your best self because you're an amazing person yourself. So the fact that you have somebody that's a mentor like that and is very close to you, that's, that's admirable. Yeah. When you talk about bringing out somebody's best self, you're trying to help them understand what's going on in their life. It's pivotal time for change. You mentioned get tapping into forgiveness. 
and love. Early on in those stages of grief or those stages of despair, there's that pissed off stage, right? Mm -hmm. Like forgiveness. I'm not forgiven this. You know what they did to me? But I find that forgiveness is really has to be self-driven first, right? Forgive yourself first, right? Because everything in your life is created, promoted, or allowed. That's my theory. I I agree. No no victims, right? You create, promote, allow everything in your life. And if you take responsibility for that, then if you've done something wrong, forgive it. Forgiveness is giving up all hope for a better past. You cannot change it. How's forgiveness look for you? How do you get your clients to go? Again, when they're pissed, they're like, I'm not forgiving anybody. Yeah. forgive myself. I didn't do anything wrong. I got screwed. She cheated on me. He cheated on me. He did this. He did that. You kidding me? Raise his kids. Now they're leaving me with their secretary. What? Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> how do you get people to get into forgiveness? Just understanding how the power of that. Well, really that's person by person, right? Because you've, you've yeah. got to find out again, where are they at their, at their best self, right? What are those things for them? What does that look like for them? You know, what's the most important thing for them? Is it their kids? You know, if it's their kids, then it's sometimes we can use that as the, the lean into forgiving the other person. But like you said, forgiveness is really about forgiving internal, right? Sure. It, it's forgiveness is something you do for yourself because harboring all of those feelings inside isn't healthy for you. Holding all that anger isn't healthy for you and, and prevents you from moving on prevents you from being your best self and creating the life that you're meant to have and and being the amazing person that you're meant to be. So trying to reframe it back to that, to bringing it back to them of you can't be your best self if you're harboring all of those things. So forgiveness is really about you. It's really internal for you so that you can be who you deserve and are meant to be and really just walking them through. It's obviously sometimes it's not done and just, you know, one conversation. (laughs) 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 Life was just that easy, huh? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) One book, one pill, one, one conference. That's it. Everybody gets it all. Right. 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 But yeah, just, just really kind of re always focusing on that and bringing it back around to that. So that's one of the strongest exercises is the, you know, who are you at your best self and is this person that you're being your best self? Dropping back into the, the criminal side of things that you do, is there a lot of that type of getting, getting them to into forgiveness, getting them into focusing on their best self, or is it still really pretty much just a, you know, I, 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 okay, I'm a TV guy, I'm a movie guy, I've watched a lot of stuff, right? And obviously courtroom stuff, I mean, they make tons of TV shows about it because it's such great drama, right? And when I think criminal law and I think a female attorney, the very first thing that comes to my mind, of course, is Clarice Starling and, you know, the whole... <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> and you're a coach. So, you know, when you're involved with, with minds like that, that can do something that is criminal, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, do you get, like, in the show, right? Again, this is maybe a stupid question. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, she got wrapped up in Hannibal Lecter in the show, mm-hmm. right? In the series, right? Do you find that you get wrapped up in the, the mind of a criminal, right? Who could take a life? Who could, you know, do something that heinous? Who could do this? When you know that they're, you know, granted, you're there to protect them and you're there to serve them. That's their rights as an American, you know, but does that getting into their head or do they get into your head or, I I don't know, either either dispel the the rumor of that Clary Starling is like sensationalized to the nth degree or there's some element that's true of that. Well, 
that again is person by person and depends, yeah. right? Like I do know attorneys that I, that get, get wrapped up in it. Certainly I tend not to get wrapped up or get into, into that, that deep into it, into the aspect, not to say that I'm not compassionate and I don't care about my clients or to the contrary. I think that's why my clients trust me so much is because I do show that compassion and that I care about them and that I'm not judging them. One of the things that I, that I always say, and, I, and I'm sure you and I have been around enough and other that you've heard me say it, that we aren't defined by the, our worst day, right? right? The thing that we've done, the worst thing in our life that we've done or the worst day that we've ever had isn't who defines us. We are more than that. We can become more than that. We can overcome that. And so when I sit down with clients who are facing some really terrible allegations, you know, I represent people that are charged with murders and facing the death penalty and, you know, and, and doing that. And, you know, when they really start to trust me to say that, like, I don't judge you. I don't care whether you did this or you didn't do this. I just want to know what your outcome is for you. Is the outcome for you that you want to say that you did it and you just want me to get a plea deal or you, you didn't do it and we're going to take this all the way to trial. And if we're going all the way to trial, then here's the evidence and here's what we have to overcome. Help me overcome it. What do we do? How do we explain that this person said they saw you do it? What happened here? Why would they say that about you? What's the argument that you guys have or the dispute that you guys have that this person could be making this up or, you know, whatever it is that we need to, to look at to overcome. So it's really just kind of looking at it from that kind of outside standpoint of just, here's what I have to do, right? depending on what outcome they need. And sure, with clients that, you know, are going to go to trial that you're spending a lot of time with, you know, some of these cases, I've got them for two, three, four years before they go to trial. So you get to know your clients and, and I get to know them as a person. Sure. And so I, I do get to see the good that's in them. And then that is where sometimes some of the coaching can come in because, you know, they are sitting in jail and they are sometimes facing life in prison or the death penalty. And then they see that there's some hopelessness sometimes there. So one that I, that I just recently had who he did get convicted of a second degree murder, but he got a term of years. He only got only say only, but you know, he got, you know, 25 years when he was 17 years old. But for him, that was just a lifetime and an eternity. And that's just me trying to coach him through to go, you're still going to be really young. You know, when you're, when you're finished with the sentence, there's still a lot of things you can do and the good things that you can do while you're inside. This doesn't have to define you. There's things that we can do to help you get through that so that you can, you know, do amazing things when you do get out. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. You're giving somebody hope. You're yeah. right. I mean, 17 at 25 years, you're 42. But again, when you're 17, 42 is like, well, that's my grandfather's age, I, I think. Yeah. No, I know. I've had that conversation. They, they start to say, but I'll be 42. And I'm like, if you say that's old, you better stop right there because that's old I am. And no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not old. <laughs> no, no. Neither am I. <laughs> so in the judicial system, you know, you provide some level of counseling. Do you think that there needs to be more of that? What, what, what needs to take place? in our judicial system or in our prison system or, or something, if you can make a change for obviously for the better, what do you think it would be? Mm, there's a lot of things that need to be changed. So without going on a uh, overly political rant there on things that need to need to be changed inside, obviously the, the main thing that it just, things need to be more fair inside the system uh -huh. as far as it is. And, and, and I'm not going to go off on a, on a completely, you know, rant on that, but their systemic racism is very much rampant and very much alive inside of the system. There does need to be change inside the system so sure. that, you know, that, that 
isn't happening and that things become more equal and more fair as far as the system and how it's applied. Yeah, and not getting political, but it is a, it is a forefront conversation right now, especially yeah. this year with the coronavirus and Black Lives Matter and all of the situations you know that are that are in our face right now. It is it is an issue, and I hope that we can get to a place of peace and resolve and all bringing out the best in every single one of us, like yeah. you mentioned, right? Finding the good in every single person. Exactly. You're coaching young people. Let's oh, your 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 child. Okay, they come to you and they say, "I mom, I want to be a lawyer." Or I want to be. He's already decided he doesn't want to be that. But yeah. he's just... <laughs> Probably the one decision he has made so far. <laughs> that he's pretty clear on. No, yeah. I want to do that. So, what what advice would you give somebody that's just starting up, or you know, maybe even just a single parent that you know, somebody's like, maybe they you started law school when your son was four, mm-hmm. right? Right. So there is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is. You know, and and to anybody that's listening right now, and maybe they're going through divorce, and maybe they have young kids, and maybe they, you know, at some level feel that there's there's just no hope, there's just no next chapter, there's just no second act. What advice would you give them to help them get through this time in their life? Well, there's no such thing as no hope and no second act, first of all, right? If you, if it's what you want to do, and it's what you're passionate about, and it's something that, and it's what you love then you just go forward and you do it. And it doesn't matter where you're at in life or how old you are or, you know, what things have happened. If you're passionate about it, then you go for it and you do it. And so that is a conversation, you're right, that I, that I have with my son. My son's now 20, almost 20, maybe 20 in February. And so that's a conversation we have frequently of just let's figure out what you're passionate about and let's figure out how to make a business around it, you know, or what can we do to, to, to have success around something that you love and you enjoy and that you're passionate about, you know, because whether you start it at 20 or whether you start it at 70, it doesn't matter, you know, just enjoy what you have to, to enjoy in life and do what you want to do. Right. Don't you find that people come back to doing what they love to do, but it's usually so much later in their life and they go, Oh man, I don't have yeah. enough time anymore. I really yeah. like this. Absolutely. I went to Stetson, which is, you know, here in the Tampa Bay area. And Stetson's one of the few that have a part-time law school program. Which, when you go into the part-time law school program, you actually find is geared towards second career. You know, mm-hmm. older, older people, which is where, where I started. I started in the part-time program. And, you know, I was almost 30 by the time I went to law school. And, you know, I was in my late 20s, almost 30, you know, and, and turned 30 in law school. And so, you know, and, it's, and there were people in their 60s, in their 50s and 60s, and, you know, even older that were in, in the part-time program going back to law school. So... And I've had people tell me that I've had friends go, I always wanted to do that, but you know, it's just too late. And I'm like, but it, but it never is too late. It's what right. you want to do. Then what's stopping you other than fear and well, well, well let's coach through that. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> other than the thing that stops every human being, yeah. <laughs> everything they don't do. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Right. <laughs> just get over it. That was my mother's favorite. Just get over it. Just, just stop it. The Bob, the Bob, new, the Bob new hearts get it. Just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my mom. <laughs> to, to her blessings mom okay you got me through a lot of stuff just get over it move on so yep. not knocking you ma when you listen to this <laughs> siobhan you're a coach as well right and some people believe that you know after a certain point in life you don't need to be coached anymore i, I have a different opinion on that but what's your take on on being coached and needing a coach and we've met through organizations that are coaching based what is your take on that on 
whether you hire a coach or when it's time to hire a mentor or when is a teacher good enough or when do you think you need a therapist? How would you differentiate between those four categories? Like somebody mm-hmm. who's a therapist, somebody who's a coach, somebody who's a teacher and somebody who's a mentor. Well, therapist is actually very specific, right? We're dealing with, you know, traumas with, you know, mental health issues or, you know, some significant emotional things that, you know, therapists are trained to take care of. That's, that's when you need the therapist. Coaching, as you know, coaching, there's a whole, whole array of coaches, right? There's, you know, now, of course, certified divorce coaches, which is fairly new. There's life coaching, business coaching, success coaching, all kinds of coaching that, that goes on out there. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'd be a good coach if I didn't believe in coaching. Right? So, Walk so, in your talk. You exactly. Go. You know, yeah. um, because I believe that we can always be better than we are. When you think that you've accomplished everything that you want to accomplish, there's even more for you to accomplish. There's even something greater out there for you to do. So always having somebody in your corner and coaching and, and mentoring or a teacher, they all kind of are very similar, you know, and, and it's what works for you at that time for what you need in that time in your life. But always having somebody that's going to be in your corner and that's, but that's also, you know, in your ass to be better. You know, and, right. and not not taking not taking your excuses and not taking your crap and you know and helping you work through it and to be to be even better. Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a great great definition of it too. To add one one piece to that, that's one of the things I think is differentiated between a teacher and a coach. A teacher will teach you the class, whether you learn it or not. It's up to you. Right. right? I'm going to stand in front of this class of thirty people. I'm going to teach this class. This is all the information I know. You either get it or you don't get it. But a coach is like takes a personal investment in your time. And a coach will tell you that some of them, I know I do this for myself and I'm sure you do as well. I don't want to take you on. Teacher's like, I got 30 kids in classes who I get. Coach's like, I don't take you on because not everybody is coachable, I don't believe, but everybody can be taught something. So it takes that, like you said, a little kick in the butt. We're going to find your best self and then we're going to kick it to the last and get get some things going sometimes. Great. And then we're going to expand your best self and we're going to get you there and then we're going to keep expanding it. Yeah. Um, Right. Keep making you better. Right. Keep improving. Hey, for fun, you like to sing. Um, I haven't heard you sing it, but I heard other people that did. And and (laughs) I guess you are quite accomplished. So... (laughs) I sing horribly. Okay. I am like, I sound like... I've never said that I was good at it. (laughs) Well... I mean, I'd give you a shot right now. But no, 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 no. <laughs> what, you have to have a go-to karaoke song. Anybody who says they, they sing for fun mm-hmm. has that, okay, <laughs> let me rock this out of the park in, in the country bar, wherever you're at. Yep. What's your go-to karaoke song? Fancy by Reba. Fancy and, by Reba. And, and Totally Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. Well, I know the totally clips of the heart, but the fancy by Reba. Can you bust out a couple of verses? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're going to have to leave the audience waiting and have to look it up. <laughs> on my Facebook page and go find it. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. All right. Then we're going to go do that. Siobhan, it's been fun talking to you. It's been inspiring to listen how, you know, obviously your dad being such a great mentor to you, the stuff that you're doing in law. The stuff that you're doing just to improve your life and to improve the lives of other people that you're working with, it's fantastic. You're a role model for single moms. You know, I, I know you're married again, but, you know, just raising a child at four years old, being 20 and going back to school and all of those things, it's, it's outstanding. And it's truly orange crushing at energy. I love what you embody. I love what you stand for. 
I love that I couldn't get you to sing, even though I'll, I'll, <laughs> maybe we'll try it some other time. <laughs> How can people get a hold of you? How can people get more of the Siobhan energy? So you can find me on Facebook. I am Siobhan Sapples Olivero. It's my personal page. Or SOS Speaks is my, my coaching and mentoring page. Um, Olivero Law is, of course, the law firm page. I'm on LinkedIn, Siobhan Olivero Attorney. I'm on Instagram under all three of those things as well. Olivero Law, SOS Speaks, and Fiat Olivero. And um, if you want to email me, it's always the best way. And that is info, I-N-F-O, at OliveroLaw.com. That's O-L-I-V-E-R-O.com, Olivero. Yes. Olivero Law, yep. OliveroLaw.com. All right. Again, Siobhan, thanks for being here. Thanks for, again, embodying the orange energy. Thanks for being part of the show. You're amazing. You're incredible. And like always, please just stay inspiring and keep doing what you do. Oh, thank you, Frank. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orange Crushing It. Hope you're fired up to take on your week with unstoppable energy. Hey, if you like the broadcast, please subscribe. Share it with your best buds. And please write a badass review. You can also reach me at themrorange.com. Stay inspiring, y'all.